To begin, we remind our listeners that you can support Mormonland by going to patreon.com slash mormonland to make a donation. There you can access transcripts to our podcast. Again, that's patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash mormonland. You also can keep up with the latest happenings in and about the church via our newsletter. Just sign up at sltrib.com forward slash mormon hyphen land. Now for today's show. Thanks for joining us today on Mormonland, where we explore news in and about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm senior religion reporter Peggy Fletcher Stack. I'm joined by managing editor Dave Noyce, who oversees the Salt Lake Tribune's faith coverage. Hello, Dave. Hi, Peggy. As discussions and debates about the recent Supreme Court reversal of Roe v. Wade continue to rage, it seems there are few new perspectives on the thorny issue. Should women have the right to make decisions about their pregnancies for themselves, or should the state have a vested interest in protecting the unborn, regardless of a woman's decision? Gabrielle Blair, a successful Latter-day Saint influencer known as, quote, design mom, quote, says it's time to shift the focus to men. After all, she argues in her forthcoming book, quote, ejaculate responsibly, a whole new way to think about abortion. Based on a 2018 viral Twitter thread, 100% of unwanted pregnancies are caused by men. She believes the issue must move away from controlling and legislating women's bodies and focus instead on men's lack of accountability. Blair, also a New York Times bestselling author and mother of six, is talking to us via Zoom from her home in France about the book and why she thinks it's time to reframe the discussion. Gabrielle, welcome. Thank you, Peggy. I'm glad to be here. So what prompted you to write that Twitter thread about men's responsibility that went so viral? Well, it was um, 2018, and um, I I had actually written it about, I'm going to say about six months before I actually shared it. These are just thoughts that had kind of been on my mind, and I was I don't know. Uh, I mean, I talk to women every day. That's kind of my job is to like have discussions with women. And I talk to thousands and thousands of women um, every year. And um, we talk about a lot of things. And I was, we were discussing, I'm sure during a design mom post, you know, discussing uh, birth control and pregnancy and all these kind of topics. And um, these thoughts just started to ruminate for me, like, wow, there's just a lot of work that women go through to prevent pregnancy. And um Anyway, and then Kavanaugh was there were hearings for Kavanaugh, for Brett Kavanaugh, who was um, for the Supreme Court. That was in September. And they were just driving me bonkers. I it was there was just so much discussion by male politicians about women's bodies and um, and about abortion and about, I don't know, stuff that they just sort of distanced. It was like this is a women's issue, but these they saw it as a women's issue. But these men were commenting on it just driving me bananas. I was so angry about it. And so I'm like, I think I'm going to share that thread. And I did. And it was my first Twitter thread I'd ever written. And oh I, my gosh. <laughs> I was a little terrified, not of the response, but that I, it, it's just a really long thread. It's like 60, I want to say 63 tweets, which is just embarrassingly long. Like, you know, that's just bad form on Twitter. Like keep it under 25 at the most, right? Like that's just like so long. And here it was my first one. And I was just totally afraid that no one would react to it. And that I would have this just like embarrassingly long 
thread hanging out. I was like, how fast can I delete 63 tweets? Like that was my main concern. <laughs> and, um, but then it, it went out into the world and the very first um, text I got, I could see it taking off and I had never had that before. And um, my very first text I got was from my bishop, who's a lawyer at the, well, my bishop at the time, who was a lawyer and um, was like, you could build a whole legal career on this. So he was like so excited about it. He was like, this is amazing. And anyway, so it was, it was fun. Okay. So let's delve into the specifics, maybe not all 63, but um, <laughs> some parts of it. Sure. First of all, how do you defend the statement that all unwanted pregnancies are caused by men? Doesn't it take two to create? Right. I mean, it, it takes two people to enjoy sex together. Yes. But people have sex together all the time. There's thousands of people around the world having sex right this minute. I hope they're having a great time and they're not, no pregnancies are happening. Um, basically I like to say it takes two plus sperm. Like you really have to have the sperm to make this happen. And, um, like, and really that main point is, um, men are much better positioned to prevent pregnancy than women are. There are no questions around whether they are fertile or not. They actively choose where they put their sperm, you know, it's their sperm or the, the woman can't choose that for them. They have to choose that. And also they have really great birth control options so that we don't talk about them much. Um, Condoms are easier, more convenient, more accessible, safer, and more affordable than women's birth control options. And they also prevent STIs, which women's birth control options don't do. And then, of course, there's also vasectomies, which are also awesome. So there's, again, men are just much better positioned to prevent pregnancy than women are. And, and I guess I want to say, like, men could easily prevent virtually all abortion. And I'm going to say not all because... Uh, I would say 99% of um, unwanted pregnancies, I'm sorry, 99% of abortions are due to unwanted pregnancies from the research I've done. About 1% are tragic cases of wanted pregnancies that have to be aborted because the baby's health or the mother's health. But by far, you know, 99% are from un unwanted pregnancies and men could easily prevent those simply by controlling their own bodies. Um, they choose not to is where we're at, but they are um, just by virtue of being fertile every single day. And the technical fact is men, by choosing to deposit their sperm in a vagina, cause pregnancy. Like that's how it works. Women are impregnated, men impregnate. And I'm not saying that, um, I'm not saying that women are, have no responsibility. It's actually not a comment on women at all. If I'm called for men to be more responsible, it's not saying that means women should be less responsible. I'm asking for the men to step up and take part that the women have been doing the work and I'm asking the men to step up and do their part. So Gabrielle, Gabrielle, can we talk about the, the birth control issue? Because those are some questions I wanted to ask. You know, why sure. don't more men use birth control, especially as you said, condoms, which are, as you said, simple, safe, readily available and effective? Right. Um, I mean, you could probably answer this better than me as a man, but the impression I get. But I'm not going to. So you can. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I've thought about that. And, and basically, from what I can tell is there's just a real cultural stigma that 
um, that condoms are the worst, that everybody hates condoms. And it's a funny thing because no one said that to me growing up. No one ever, you know, gave me opinions about condoms, but I definitely knew going into adulthood and, um, just, I don't know, I guess it's just part of the culture. I knew the jokes about condoms. I knew the idea that men would try and talk women out of using a condom or that it was sort of a triumph that they could have sex without a condom. Like this is like in movies, it's in music. It's, it's just around us. And so no one really had to spell that out for me. I felt like I knew it. And I don't think that's something um, many people would disagree with. It seems to be part of the culture. Interestingly, as I've, as I've taken part in so many conversations, I mean, I've really talked about this almost every day for three and a half years. Um, plenty of men have said, oh, actually, it's fine. Like, you got to practice. You got to learn how. got to figure out which kind of works for you, et cetera. Figure out what kind of lubrication you like. Um, lots of men have said it's fine. There are some men, they're like, no, it's the worst. It's horrible. Um, but it's interesting because if I dive down and they're willing to be not anonymous, um, which is sometimes rare on Twitter, you'll find out like, oh, you're a kid who hasn't really had sex yet. So you're telling me about how much you don't like condoms, but you don't really have any experience yet. So don't worry, it's going to be okay. So, you know, but that, that adult men who've had enough experience with this are like, yeah, you can figure it out. It's not that big a deal. And if they really, really hate it, there's lovely vasectomies waiting for them, which is fantastic. So, so what's the, what's the problem with women's birth control carries a lot more issues, right? In, including other side effects and health effects, right? Right. Um, well, talk a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, so um, women have like a lot of different options. You've got the pill and the ring and the shot and um, there's IUDs, two different kinds. And I'm, I'm missing a bunch. Like I, I need to bring a list of them in front of me, but there's just a ton. They're, most of them are, work the same way. They're a combination of two different hormones and um and you can take it again in all these different forms, but it's the same thing. Um, the, the copper IUD does not have those hormones, um, but pretty much everything else is these hormones. This is what, how, we're, how we're doing it. And yeah, they cause side effects. Some women don't experience much or maybe not at all, or, or, they're, or they don't mind them. They're not a big deal. But um, a lot of the side effects can be really serious too, uh, like liver, liver failure, like death. I mean, there's there's really hard things that can happen from birth control. And then of course there's common things that don't sound serious, but can really affect quality of life, weight gain, skin problems, um, bloating, all sorts of things like things that again, don't feel as serious, but, uh, certainly affect your day-to-day life in a, in a big way. Hmm. And this is something women deal with for years, sometimes decades at a time. And it's just an assumption that they'll deal with it. Um, I don't ever, I mean, I hear women talk about the issues, you know, the side effects, but there's never an underlying current of, well, we should stop taking this or we should have better options. It's just the underlying current of thought is, well, that's just how it is. Like if you want to use birth control, that's just how it's going to be. And this expectation that we will be willing to take birth control and that it's our job to take birth control and and in reality, women do like the birth control industry is eight billion dollars. You know, it's it's massive. And 90 percent of 
that industry is products purchased by women, including 30% of condoms. Like, you know, women are paying for birth control and using birth control um, despite all the, the side effects and not just the side effects. It's, it's a pain to get birth control for women. Remember, it requires a prescription. Um, you typically have to go to the doctor every year to renew that, probably get a physical exam. Um, let's acknowledge for a minute how hard it is to even get a doctor's appointment in many states. And, you know, our medical system's not great. If you can afford it, if you have insurance, if your doctor takes that insurance, et cetera, you might have a three month wait for an appointment. Like it's not like a simple thing to just go, Hey, I'm just going to go get my birth control. And then of course, filling the prescription, whether that's online or in a pharmacy, it's all a thing you have to do. And then once you start taking it, for most forms um, of the birth control, unless you time it exactly right, it's going to be about a seven-day wait before it's, it even takes effect. And you have to take that hormone every single day, even if you're not having sex, even if you're out of town, away from your partner, and you're not going to have sex for a week, you're still taking that hormone every single day, or it's not going to work on the day that you do want to have sex. Um, and again, let's compare that to condoms. None of this, no prescription, 24 hours a day, cheap or free. If you don't mind dropping by like, you know, a college campus, their free clinic or whatever, you know, like um, no side effects. You don't need to use it. If you don't need to put a condom on, if you're not having sex that day, like it's, you don't have to go to the doctor. You don't have to go to the pharmacy for, to stand in line for a prescription. You can just pick them up from vending machines at public bathrooms. I mean, they're everywhere. And I don't know, it's just such a difference. And yet we just expect women to deal with this. Um, it's been interesting hearing from some men who had really a light bulb go off after reading some of the ideas and saying, oh my goodness, my girlfriend pays for birth control. She's always paid for birth control. She takes care of all this. I've never contributed a dime to it, but I benefit from this at least as much as she does, if not more. Mm. And it's just a great illustration of, yeah, we just assume women will deal with this. This is somehow a woman's job and, um, and women expect it too. That's not like men expecting this of us. Women are, are taught the same thing. Like this is your body. It's the one that can get pregnant. So you have to deal with it. Tough luck for you about the side effects, you know, tough luck for the pain in the neck. I'm going to go back a second to condoms because in your thread, I have obviously read your book, but you talked about the fact that some men said, their pleasure was a little bit less using a condom. And you make the point. Um, so on a scale of one to 10, maybe their pleasure is like an eight instead of a 10, but right. they're willing to risk the health of their partner yeah. for that yeah. little, little dip in pleasure. Right. I mean, so this was, that was a pretty revelatory thing as I've written about this. And it's certainly something that's been discussed and definitely debated and argued with me, but um, we have really focused. And when I say we, I'm talking like the culture, you know, uh, American culture, but almost the world culture, you know, as humanity has really has this ingrained idea that like sex is for men, like that's an activity for men and their enjoyment. Like this is all kind of about men. And so, um, so it's not like if men head out and they're like, okay, I'm going to have sex 
I want to have sex without a condom. I don't think what's going through their head is I want to risk my partner's body, her health, possibly her life. Like the mortality rate of birth in America is horrible for how wealthy of a country we have. I don't think they're thinking that. I I really don't think men are out there trying to be evil about sex at all. I just think it's been taught to all of us that their pleasure during sex is the most important. And I think there's lots of ways we can see that's true, but imagine a couple that they have sex and the man has an orgasm and the woman doesn't, but the man's like, okay, well, I'm done now. We're done. And like stops the sex that happens every day. It's like a common story. You hear it all the time. It's in movies. It's everywhere. Any woman you talk to will be like, Oh yeah, that's happened. Like for sure. Um, but pretend we did the opposite where the woman has an orgasm. She's like, Oh, okay, I'm done. And the man hasn't had an orgasm yet. And, but she stops the sex and walks away. The man would in conversation would typically say, well, we didn't really even have sex. I didn't, I didn't have an orgasm. You know, like it's not actual real sex if the man doesn't have an orgasm. Like that's, and not just the man, like the whole society kind of goes, well, they didn't actually have sex. He didn't, he didn't ejaculate. And you're like, well, no, they super did have sex. And she had, she came, which is great. Um, Anyway, like that, that has happened. It happens that the woman is the only one that has the orgasm, but it's so rare that that happens. And she just walks away that anyone who talks about it, like, it becomes like a viral thread on social media because it's like, whoa, what just happened? She stopped having sex as soon as she was done. Like, that's amazing. Because um, it's so rare because we really, really have this focus that like men and their pleasure is the thing. So the idea that a, a man is going, hey, this would feel a little bit better to me without a condom. Of course, they're thinking like, why wouldn't they think that? They've been taught to think that. We've all been taught to think that, that like, okay. And and I think women also taught that like, well, men can like earn sex without a condom, you know, like if they're, I don't know if they're loyal or if they're whatever it is, it's like, okay, that's this thing. It's a conquest or something. It's, there's all sorts of bizarre stuff around it. Um, but yeah, in reality, it's exactly what I, you know, what you were describing from my thread, Peggy, that if a man chooses to have sex without a condom, He's putting this woman at risk. And yeah, anyway, he's, he's, if he's having sex with a woman, he's putting her at risk um, so that he can feel slightly more pleasure. And again, it's not like he's, it's not like he's not pleasurable with a condom. It's just maybe not as pleasurable. And, and this is debatable and I can't really speak to it because I'm not a man, but there's a wide range of of responses to that and plenty that say, "Mm." It's still a 9.8. Like it's fine. Like, <laughs> like, it's not like a, you know. Like, you're saying you could still win a gold medal on the judging or something. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. So it's a, it's a pretty awful thing to think about though, that like we've set this up that we're just casually risking women's bodies, you know, no big deal. Gabrielle, what if anything to, does your LDS faith's teachings about sex have to do with your perspective? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about it all the time, of course. Um, um, I, well, I mean, I, I think about my faith take on sex and my faith take on abortion and they both affect how I've come out on this. But um, I mean, we definitely have 
our, our own weird things about sex and Mormonism, for sure. You know, um, people that have tried so hard to remain um, chaste until marriage. And then they find once they've gotten married, they have mental blocks that don't even allow them to enjoy sex because they were so terrified that they were going to do something bad or just associate it with being a bad person or being dirty or somehow. So for sure that plays into all of this, no doubt in the same sort of, um, focus on, you know, sex is for men and sex is for men's pleasure. Um, and also just a general inability. And I don't think this is just Mormonism, but maybe just an American Puritanism, um, of not being able to speak frankly about sex in a way that maybe other, other countries do, but our sex ed is not very good. Often it doesn't really, um, it's often not fact-based. It's not, um, it's not frank. It's not straightforward. It's, it's, so afraid that the the kids we're teaching about sex will actually have sex someday that we like want to withhold information from them. And that of course is the opposite of, of what we hope it's going to do, you know, in the countries where they have really good sex ed and they talk about sex at every age in an age appropriate way, that it's not one talk in fifth grade, but it's just a constant conversation. Their rates for teen pregnancy, their rates for abortion are so much lower than they are in the US. So I tie that into um, for sure all of American religions, but I definitely have seen it in Mormonism where it's a, a hesitancy to, to talk about sex. In fact, as Design Mom, the blogger, um, I've had quite a few questions from Mormon youth that are heading off to college, maybe to BYU, um, and haven't been told about sex and are coming to me asking for advice. I mean, they know it exists, but they don't, they haven't really been told mechanics. Of course, they don't want to like look it up online because can you imagine what's going to, you know, come up if they do a search? Um, and their parents are, you know, cool parents, fun parents. They love them, but like just have not talked to them about sex. And so they're looking for knowledge from a trusted source and they're looking for, you know, someone that's not going to, they don't want to, again, do an online search and be inundated with pornography. They just, want some knowledge and we need to do better for sure. So like what other of your 25 propositions in your book, what have we not covered? Um, well, we did a lot and I know I talked a lot. Let's see. So what else do I want to talk about? Um, I can talk more about just um, being pro-choice as a Mormon. I know that's stressful to some people. If that would be helpful to you, although it's not something I directly address in the thread. Oh, sure. Um, okay. Um, so this one, so this one's interesting. Um, I, I've, my brain approaches it in a few, few ways. One is that, um, in the same way that when I was growing up, feminist was considered a kind of a bad word among the people I knew. I grew up in St. George and Feminist was just, I, I thought it was like sort of a swear word or something. Like I didn't understand what it was until I got older and realized like, oh no, I'm a feminist and I was raised as a feminist and lots of women I know are feminists, but that took me a, a while to get there um, to understand that. I certainly didn't as a teenager. And I feel the same way about the word pro-choice. Um, it's been, you know, made into this, the same thing as with a feminist, like made into this evil word. And the reality is if you are someone who believes there should be any exceptions to abortion bans, 
if you're like, well, yeah, an 11 year old should definitely not be made to have a baby. Um, uh, you know, someone who is raped shouldn't be made to have a baby. If you, if you believe in some of these exceptions, which the vast majority of Americans do, and certainly the vast majority of Mormons, since it's our doctrine allows for those exceptions or our teachings allow for those exceptions. Um, you're pro-choice. You want the woman to have a choice. You want, or the girl, if the case may be, you want there to be a choice. You don't want anyone to be just forced no matter what. You want there to be a choice. And maybe you want to have more control of who gets to make the choice, or you maybe you want to limit the number of choices, but you want there to be choice. And I feel like that falls under pro-choice and that we've been taught that it's this dirty word, but that, no, if you believe you're exce- there are exceptions, you're in the pro-choice camp. You might be on, uh, you know, maybe there's a spectrum out among that camp and you're on one side of that spectrum and not the other. But if you believe there should be some choices that need to be made, then that's pro-choice. Um, the other thing is, and this one can get sensitive fast. So if we don't have to talk about this, if you don't want to, but, um, you know, when, like, we don't have official doctrine on when the spirit enters the body but we kind of do like they, they, you know, they, they're very careful to say we don't, but then we also know. And if you ask any Mormon woman, you, she would know the answer to this too. Um, that if you have a miscarriage or even a stillbirth well into the pregnancy, they're not given temple rights. They're not baptized. They're not, um, added to the records. And as we know, like we're charged with, you know, tracking all of humanity and making sure everyone gets a chance to have these rights. And I think that's a pretty clear indication that we don't think there was any soul to need those rights. Like we don't need, there was no spirit to, that needed to, to be sealed. Um, I would also, you know, I, I've been pregnant six times. I've had six babies and also have my own experiences of like when I felt my children's spirits near. And it was always like, as I'm about to go into labor. So for me, it was like, Oh, the spirit is coming nearby. I'm about to have the baby. Like, so for me, I also connect it to birth, but again, that's just my personal experience. Anyway, it just, because of that, I really don't see how miscarriage and abortion are different doctrinally. Um, when you have a miscarriage, your body is aborting the baby. Your body is saying this, this pregnancy is not going to work for whatever reason. And it's aborting the baby and they call it a spontaneous abortion in medical terms. That's what a miscarriage is. And I think an elective abortion when the woman chooses it is the same thing, but her mind is, is doing the aborting. Her mind is going, no, it's not the right time to have a baby. I know that it's not, this baby will not be able to thrive or for whatever reason, this is not the right time. And her is no different than her body choosing it. And, um, spiritually, I don't see it as different. I, I don't think it's like, Oh, that was that there was, that was that baby's one shot at getting a, a, you know, a body. Like, I don't think none of our, our doctrine makes sense around that. And so I, I don't know. I just feel like we do a lot of elevating of mothers in the way we talk where we're like, Oh, this is sacred. And we trust mothers and mother's instincts. And if a woman is pregnant and she and her instincts are telling her it's not time to have a baby, I trust her to know her body and to know, her, you know, follow those instincts. And if we don't think those instincts are real, if we think that she's somehow very wrong, then why do we want her to have a baby? 
that sounds just as bad. Why are we trusting her to have a baby if we don't trust her instincts to just know it's not the right time to have a baby? And the other thing is data, meaning like women who are forced to have the baby, like they don't get to access an abortion, they end up having less babies than they would have. So like if a woman is able to have an abortion and get her life back on the track she wanted to be on, she's more likely to have multiple kids in the future. But if she is not able to have the abortion and she has to start raising this child, um, basically she never gets back on track, never gets out of poverty for so many of these women. And so never has another child like is done. So it's really like, this isn't building families. It's, there's nothing about this practice that is really doing anything. Our church, you know, says we celebrate, you know, uh, it's not cutting, you know, like having an abortion is not changing your eternal family. If it was, we would have temple rights and we'd have all these things around, um, around miscarriages and stillbirths. Like, you know, these are the same ages of babies, but we don't anyway, or fetuses, I should say. Anyway, that's where my brain goes. I just think we have a lot of room in our doctrine to make this fine. And that for many decades in America, it was totally fine. Like it wasn't a, a, it wasn't a big deal and it was, wasn't hard to get an abortion. I mean, you could get pills for it and you could, or, or get herbs for it. And it just wasn't, um, it didn't have the stigma that it did, that it does now. So as we prepare to close, Gabrielle, quick question. Do you, do you propose any legislative action that focuses on men since so much of this has always been focused on women? Right. I mean, I do. Sometimes I do jokingly. I'm meaning I'll <laughs> say, hey, how about, you know, every 12 year old has to get every 12 year old boy has to get a vasectomy and then later it'll be reversed, which is I feel like I'm trying to be Jonathan Swift. And, you know, here's my um, my modest proposal. But um, I do think people should hold politicians to task and say, um, hey, what are your plans to prevent unwanted pregnancies? That's how we do this. And we've seen um, in states, I'm specifically thinking of Colorado, which I know is, you know, Utah's neighbor, that they've had an amazing program where they gave free birth control and they had good sex education and they saw teen pregnancy and abortion drop by over 50%. Like it's, it's not magic. We know how to do it. And if a politician is saying, I want to reduce pregnancies, I mean, I wanted to reduce abortions, sorry, um, then say, well, then what are you doing to take action to do that? Because guess what? Banning abortion doesn't do that. We know in countries where abortion is banned, up to 70% of women that have unwanted pregnancies still get abortions, which is very similar to how it is now. There were more abortions before Roe versus Wade than there are now simply because there wasn't as much birth control. And uh, anyway, it's the idea that abortion bans stop abortion is just not true. And with, you know, medical abortions where you can take it by pill now, that's going to be even less true. And when so much of the U S population lives in States like New York or California, where there's, where they can still get abortions, I, we're not going to see the drop in abortions that maybe anti-abortion advocates wanted to see, but we are going to make it a lot harder for um, women that don't have resources. And it means a lot more abortions later in the pregnancy that where 90 over, well, I think it's 91% right now 
happen in the first trimester, which are the safest options, um, those are going to get pushed to the second trimester. So it's less safe. It's less, um, well, it's just, it, it, they would have had a, an abortion in the first trimester, but now it's been prevented. And so we hear a lot of people stressed out about later term abortions and this is creating more of them. It's not creating less, it's creating more of them. So I think we really need to, if an, if, if a politician says, I am anti-abortion, I want to reduce abortion. In what way are you doing this? Because an abortion ban isn't doing it. So unless you're show, sharing, showing me how you plan to legislate irresponsible ejaculations, unless you plan to show me how, you know, your programs for free um, birth control, unless you're showing me your sex ed, like fact-based programs that you want taught at every school age, you're, you're doing nothing. We know what works. We know it's, it's proven. If you're not doing these things and you're just working on a ban and you're just focused on women, you're not serious about this. You're just, you know, it's full of baloney hmm. because by the time you're like a woman's like heading into the abortion clinic, that's not when you're going to convince her not to have an abortion. She's made this decision. You need to start back before she's ever pregnant. You need to start with, Hey, ejaculate responsibly and prevent this whole mess. And, and especially if these are male politicians spouting this stuff, like, Hey, are you ejaculating responsibly? Are you telling the men in your life to ejaculate responsibly? Did you get a vasectomy? Are you using a condom every time you have sex? Like, do not lecture women on what to do if you are not doing the very basic things you, you need to do to, to prevent pregnancy because men can easily, can easily prevent all abortions simply by controlling their own bodily fluids. That's it. That's all they have to do. They just have to control their sperm. There's, it's like the opposite of an archer. We want an archer to hit this very specific target. And we're asking men to hit anywhere, but this one specific target, like literally anywhere else, but this one target, that's all you have to do. And it's not a big ask. I, I love men. I trust men. I know they can do it. They just need to be taught and, you know, awakened to this responsibility. Um, I just want to clarify one last thing that it might've, I mean, you might've just answered it, which is your statement about, um, men are responsible for unwanted pregnancies and people say, well, it takes two, but you're talking about unwanted pregnancies. You're not talking about all pregnancies. You're talking about unwanted ones, right? Right. Right. I mean, I, technically sperm is going to cause all pregnancies, but I'm saying, look, if the woman was trying to get pregnant, then yeah, it's a wanted pregnancy. If the woman's not trying to, if it has not, you know, if the, the, man and the woman have not explicitly decided, yes, we're trying to get pregnant. Then I hope they're both doing their parts, right? I hope they're both doing their parts to prevent the pregnancy. Um, but the reality is no matter what the woman chooses to do, her body can't cause a pregnancy. A woman's orgasm does not cause pregnancy. Like it just doesn't. So they both need to be responsible. I want the woman to be responsible for her body. I hope she does. And that's the wise thing to do. And I'm asking the men to also be responsible for their bodies. And I think the assumption is, well, as long as the woman is being responsible for her body, then the man doesn't need to be responsible for his. And I disagree. I think men, you need to be responsible for your own bodies and stop expecting women to be responsible for your bodies. And um, again, I don't think it's a big ask. I think men are, can do this. And I think they're up for it, up for this. And most of them have never been told to even think about this. So uh, some of it's just that it's just 
as simple as pointing it out, like, Hey, your sperm can really hurt someone. Be really careful with it. (laughs) (laughs) The name of the forthcoming book again is ejaculate responsibly a whole new way to think about abortion. Gabrielle Blair. Thanks for joining us today. Um, I was glad to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. And thanks to Dave Noyce. Thanks, Peggy. And to our producer, Chris Samuels. We remind our listeners that they can keep up on all the happenings in and about the church by subscribing to the Salt Lake Tribune's free Mormonland newsletter. Just go to sltrib.com to sign up and we'll talk again next time on Mormonland. Land.